Warning, the following broadcast is not intended to be a substitute for legal advice or firearm safety, competence, or proficiency training. This broadcast is solely for entertainment, discussion, and informational purposes. Side effects may include a sudden undeniable urge to exercise your Second Amendment rights, and you may in fact turn into a gun nut. You've been warned. Welcome to another episode of Locked, Loaded, and Legal. I'm your host, firearms instructor, Jose Morales. And I'm attorney Mike Jeremita. And welcome, everyone. Today's episode, we're going to talk about your home is your castle, or is it? Protecting yourself and your loved ones in your home. Mike, as an attorney, can you talk to us a little bit about the castle doctrine? Because I hear, you know, you hear conflicting opinions and, you know, a lot of misinformation out there. And uh, let's let's clarify that. Sure. There are a ton of misconceptions when it comes to the castle doctrine. The first thing you want to know is whether your state has a version of the castle doctrine. And if your state does, in fact, have a version of the castle doctrine, you want to be very sure of what protections it affords because people misunderstand this stuff all the time. So where can they go to, to get that information? Well, one thing you could do is you could attend a seminar to learn about these laws, or you can contact an attorney. Uh, many states have resources such as books that outline these sorts of stuff. Uh, that was one of the intentions of our book, to put some of this information out there, although it's not a substitute for legal advice. But one of the worst things I hear when it comes to the Castle Doctrine is people will come over to me and they'll say, well, Mike, we've got the Castle Doctrine, and that means if someone's in my house, I can kill them. <laughs> Lots of urban legends, yeah. Yeah, and it's very, very far from the case. <laughs> and people could end up in some very, very sticky situations and end up going to jail for a very, very long time because of a misunderstanding of the law. So I, I want to first uh, tell a story about a case that happened, and then I want to talk about why it's relevant and why the Castle Doctrine doesn't mean that if someone's in your house, you can kill them. There was a case a few years back. Older guy lived in a bad neighborhood, and these two local druggies broke into his house. It was a guy and a girl. They were both 20-something years of age. And really, they figured, you know, we're going to wait till this old guy's sleeping. We'll break into his house, and we'll steal some of his stuff, and we'll go sell it off and get our next fix. So they break into this guy's house in the middle of the night. And when they get to the back of his living room, unexpectedly, this older guy is sitting there wide awake, watching hmm. TV, with a 357 sitting on his lap. There you go. He was ready. <laughs> he was ready. I like this guy ready. And when these guys realized that the homeowner was awake, alert, and armed, they started to seriously rethink their life decisions, right? Mm. So they both turn around and they take off. So the guy made it clean through the front door, but the girl who was with him tripped on her way out the doorway and landed on all fours right by the doorway. That homeowner caught up to her, put his 357 behind her ear, Mm. And he spread her brains across the floor. Now, if people's understanding of the castle doctrine that if someone's in your house, you could kill them were true. Yeah, automatically. That, right? that would be perfectly justified, right? Mm. Acting as executioner in that situation. But unfortunately, that's not the truth. What the castle doctrine does in many situations, so all it does is if somebody's breaking into your home or if they have broken into your home and they're in your home, the law gives you what's known as a presumption. 
So they'll put an advantage on your side. They'll maybe presume that you were justified. They'll start off with that premise. So the premise would be that they're not there to say, hey, how you doing? You know, this is you know, it's a nice color TV you have. They're, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that's reasonable. But presumptions can be overcome by evidence. So when they showed up in this case and found this girl laying face down halfway out the front door. Missing part of her head. With a missing part of her head. Uh, certainly that physical evidence showed that he couldn't have had that reasonable belief that she was an immediate threat under those circumstances. So that's one way. Beyond that, beyond the physical evidence, the most common way people lose their presumption, their advantage under the Castle Doctrine is opening up their mouths. And we unfortunately had a case just like this a few years ago. A few years ago, we've got a client who owns a home. He's sleeping upstairs in his bedroom one night. Wakes up in the middle of the night, hears these rattling noises downstairs, so he grabs his gun, he heads down the stairs, he gets to the bottom of the stairs, and as soon as he turns the corner, he's face-to-face with this large, unknown intruder who's in his house in the middle of the night. homeowner Homeowner takes one step back, and he pulls the trigger. First shot instantly killed the intruder. So now the homeowner's waiting for the law enforcement officers to show up, And he notices that his brand new television set is laying on the ground right next to the dead intruder. Now, I've never claimed to be a detective or anything, but I think it's reasonable to presume that the bad guy was stealing the television set. Law enforcement officers show up and our guy decides, listen, I'm the good guy. I want to cooperate. I want to tell him the truth about what happened and everything should work itself out. As most of us good guys want to do, we want to be one of volunteer information because, you know, we have nothing to hide, sure. right? Sure. I mean, it's only natural for those of us who don't have that negative exposure to the criminal justice system. But law enforcement officer comes over, says to our guy, excuse me, sir, mind if we ask you a few questions? And he goes, of course not. Go right ahead. So law enforcement officer asks, at the time that you shot this guy, what was he doing? To which our guy says, he was stealing my television set. Mm. So the officer says, well, if he was stealing your television set, then both of his hands were occupied? And the guy goes, yeah. Well, folks, if both of his hands were occupied, how could he possibly have a reasonable belief that deadly force was necessary to prevent death, serious bodily injury, kidnapping, or rape? That's a very, very tough one. Mm. The bottom line is, I think that what this guy said was inaccurate. You know, under the stress of the circumstances, he made this statement that didn't accurately reflect what happened because I don't think he knew the first thing about that television set until after the fact when he's waiting around for the cops to show up. You know, the bottom line is he probably came down those steps, turned that corner, and he's face-to-face with this large unknown intruder who's in his house in the middle of the night after he just heard all these noises, and he says, oh, expletive, and pulls that trigger. And when you describe it like that, you articulate it like that, it sounds a lot more reasonable than he was stealing my television set. So he literally talked himself out of a defense. He talked himself not only out of a defense, but out of a presumption. Castle mm. Doctrine was going to have the law start off in his corner. They would have presumed he had that reasonable belief because of the circumstances. That intruder had broken into his home. He had unlawfully and forcefully entered his dwelling, his residence. But because of what he said, you know, the way he articulated this so poorly under the stress of the circumstances, he flushed that advantage straight down the drain, and he made it very difficult for us to defend him. So it sounds like both actions and words can get us into trouble. I mean, the first individual, by his actions and not understanding the, the castle doctrine, and then the second one, by words, by what they said to, you know, in, you know 
lost his advantage. Legal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's important for us to ensure that we understand the Castle Doctrine, the protections it provides, the protections it doesn't provide. People have got a gross misunderstanding and think it does a whole lot more than it does, and that could land you in some serious, serious legal trouble. Now, one other thing the Castle Doctrine does in certain states is it'll get rid of the duty to retreat in your home. We spoke on a previous episode about how, generally speaking, you've got a duty to retreat if you can do it with complete safety here in Pennsylvania. Uh, but under the Castle Doctrine, there's no duty to retreat in the home, even if you can do it with complete safety. Now, again, know your state and local laws, because some states will have you crawl out your back window if you have the opportunity. So you've got to keep that in mind. Understand your state and local laws, how they apply to you when you're in your home. Find out whether your state does have a Castle Doctrine. And if it does, understand that it doesn't likely mean that just because somebody's in your house, you can kill them. There will be advantages associated with the Castle Doctrine if someone breaks into your home, right? The law is going to give you that advantage because you've got a right to be safe in your home. But it certainly doesn't mean that you can execute somebody in the name of revenge. again and stay safe. And we're back with Locked, Loaded, and Legal. Just a reminder, visit us at LockedLoadedAndLegal.com. You can find our contact information as well as our social media platforms. Let us know if there are any topics we've discussed that you want to hear more about. Remember, we're here for you, the listener. So when we left off, we were discussing the Castle Doctrine. I just wanted to clarify something. There is a difference between the Castle Doctrine and the Stand Your Ground. Many times people confuse the two. Yeah, you, hear them, you hear them mentioned interchangeably every once in a while. Like, and they'll, they'll say, well, Stand Your Ground is a license just to shoot somebody. Yeah, yeah. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth either. You know, another one of those... Uh, myths that are out there and we've discussed stand your ground briefly on a previous episode and the thousand foot view is that if certain criteria are met all it'll do is get rid of that duty to retreat which generally only applies at least here in pennsylvania if you can do it with complete safety now that's not restricted to the home the way the castle doctrine may be uh, our castle doctrine in pennsylvania provides certain advantages in the home and in an occupied vehicle. So if these things occur in your occupied vehicle, you may have additional protections under the Castle Doctrine. Uh, but stand your ground is not confined to the home, the occupied vehicle. So that's the, the difference between the two, at least here in Pennsylvania. So make sure you know the difference in your state. So one other thing I want to talk about, Jose, aside from the legal implications, people have a whole lot of questions regarding how can they prepare for a home invasion? How can they prepare to protect themselves and their loved ones inside the home? So what's the practical advice on that? Well, the practical advice, Mike, is that to have a plan in place. You know, it, we mention this all the time. Have plans in place prior to needing them. And, you know, we'd all agree that our homes are where we are feel the safest, but also where we're the most vulnerable. And one of the things that I noticed 
um, at during the the stories you were talking about is that it didn't seem that any either of those individuals had a plan in place prior to needing to use the gun. Sure. So it's really really important to to have a plan in place prior to that. So we'll talk a little bit about setting up a safe space, what what plans are, but it's important to talk really quickly about a concept called a fatal funnel. Um, you ever heard that that term before, fatal funnel? Sure. So a fatal funnel essentially is a choke point or an area of vulnerability in our homes. There are three major areas that are vulnerable for attackers and are also vulnerable for defenders. So we need to understand these these choke points. We need to understand these areas of vulnerability so that we can exploit them to our advantage. So stairwells are great examples of choke points. Stairwells, hallways, and doorways are kind of funnels. They narrow out, they narrow in, and an attacker or a defender is most vulnerable in one of those three places. Hmm. So given the fact that the attacker or defender are most vulnerable, let's use those to our advantage. Let's have a plan surrounded or focused around a choke point. So a lot of instructors say, you know what, run into your room, lock the door, and no, I, I generally don't recommend that, and everybody's a little bit different. So take a look at your particular home. What are your choke points? Are there stairways, hallways, doorways between your bedroom or where you're going to be the most vulnerable or wherever your safe space is? And we'll talk a little bit about setting up that safe space in a minute. Figure out what is that choke point that best fits into that plan. And that's going to be kind of your area where you're going to set up in the event that you need to use a uh, force to protect yourself. So in my particular home, um, it's uh, the top of a stairway, right? That's a choke point that's right before my bedroom. So again, I've analyzed my particular choke points, my particular areas, and I've selected my top of my stairs as that particular choke point. So with that area selected, I know where I need to be stationed with my firearm. My wife also knows, and all the members of my household know their respective roles. So we have to communicate, okay, in the event that this um, event happens, home invasion, how are you going to communicate that? What is a code word? What is a, a trigger word, for lack of a better way, uh, uh, term, to let everybody know this is what is going to trigger um, our respective actions? So my wife knows in the event that I mention a certain word, she knows she goes into the bedroom, she calls 911, she's on the phone, accesses her firearm, I access my firearm, I position myself at my, uh, my fatal funnel at the choke point, um, yelling commands. Get out, I have a gun, don't come any closer, I'll shoot if I have to. So again, it's having these plans in place and communicating them that are very, very important. And people don't do that. Unfortunately, we don't do that. We live in a world where we have to have plans in place prior to needing them. So again, every individual place or every individual, um, their situation is a little bit different. Analyze your choke points and use them to your advantage. Again, their stairways, hallways, and doorways are generally the uh, the most vulnerable areas. Let's use them to our advantage. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And these are some uh, very serious considerations that uh, I think a lot of times people just don't generally think about. So it's important to keep in mind. One of the things you hear on the streets sometimes is, "Oh, well, if someone comes into your house, just you know, pump that shotgun, and they'll be scared and they'll run away. That'll do it." Um, but yeah, you know, rack the slot of your gun. Uh, right, right. They hear that noise, they'll be taken off. 
But like we said in a previous episode, I think it's generally a very dangerous proposition to have that firearm or take out that firearm if you're not prepared to use it. It's a tool. It's not a tool of intimidation. It's a tool of last resort. You right. don't use the racking of that gun or the racking of that slide or that pump to, to scare somebody to not doing that. Think about it. You if certainly in, shouldn't depend on it. Right? Well, yeah, if you're in a situation where you have absolutely no choice but to sh- use deadly force, you're not going to rack the slide. You're going to use what you need, you know, use deadly force to protect yourself. It's a kind of a, a kind of a common sense thing, but we, you know, we card-carrying good guys, we think about that. So a couple of other things to think about, really is fields of fire. If you find your particular um, choke points, if you find your your, uh, your areas where you're going to, uh, to station yourself, um, figure out what those fields of fire are. We feel most vulnerable in our bedrooms. Has, you know, uh, you are listeners. Have you, if you have a firearm, really given some thought, if I have to use my gun, um, what's going to be the path of this round? Hmm. Um, you all know where your, your side of the bed is and where the gun is. Have a second, take a second to figure out if I had to shoot, this is the angle I have to shoot, um, where would that round go? Will it go into my neighbor's uh, bedroom? Will it go to my child's bedroom? You may have to rearrange your furniture in order to rearrange those fields of fire. Again, you don't need to, you don't want to figure, have to figure that out when you need to use the gun. And by the way, is there a flashlight somewhere on or around that gun? Um, whether it's a home defense gun or not, is there a flashlight? Because how in the world are you going to identify whether or not they're a threat? Are they holding your TV? Or are they holding, you know, a tool of deadly force? And again, that's what flashlights are used for. We don't go out hunting for the bad guy. We need to, or girl, because we're not sexist, mm-hmm. we need to identify the threat. And that's what flashlights do. It drives me crazy when, and, you know, students go, well, wait a second, uh, I'm letting everybody know. Where I am with a flat? No, you're not going out to hunt. You're identifying whether or not they pose a threat, right? And you don't have necessarily the light on the whole time. You you turn the light on. You identify whether they're a threat. You fire if you need to. You shut off the light. You move off the line of attack. I mean, it's a process. It's not just buying the tool and then you know uh, figuring you know going, using YouTube to figure out how to use it. So have these plans in place. Find those fatal funnels, figure out ways to use them to our advantage, and then create a safe space after communicating a plan with our family and our, uh, you know, and our housemates. And, our, and again, if you uh, have children or el- the elderly that um, are in your home, maybe use their particular room as the safe space room. We'll talk about that, how to set up a safe space. With locked, loaded, and legal, I want to jump back in with a question about flashlights, Jose. You mentioned that some folks are concerned about giving up their position by using a flashlight with their firearm in the context of home defense. What do you think about strobe lights in these contexts? Yes, you generally hear that from individuals that aren't trained with their gear, right? I'm a firm believer in train with your gear, like buy your gear, and then actually take a class and learn to manipulate your gear under stress. 
I learned that the more stuff my lights do, the, the higher the potential that I'm going to mess things up. So I've taken defensive courses with lights that have strobes and lasers and flashlights. And I've learned that under stress, I'm turning on the laser when I want strobe and strobe when I want the light. And it's just too, too many things going on. So I've kind of gone back to the basics, right? I like my lights, my, my firearms mounted lights to do two things, turn on and off. That's it. Because I, again... For my um, for my training paradigm and my defensive paradigm, that's what works best for me. So I just want to on or off, and that's it. That's simple enough. Now, when we left, we were talking about safe spaces, and I presume that you weren't talking about places where we're not allowed to talk about politics. No, right? no, no, saying. no. We're talking about we're talking about established. Uh, places in your home that you can set up a defense almost like the castle keep in a castle we talked about the castle doctrine it's an area where you can set up to protect yourself and your family and uh, and uh, you can do so effectively and it takes a little bit of preparation so what are some of the things that we'd want in a safe space well again don't let's not get this confused with some of those uh, safe rooms um, <laughs> like those like, like that movie right yes yeah yeah the, that, the movie the problem with that movie is that had they followed these instructions it would have been over in like 15 minutes you know <laughs> which is what we want you well, know what a shame it's a good movie <laughs> the main thing when we're talking about setting up a, a safe space or safe room is having an area an ability to leave an egress so it has to have some kind of window or doorway or ability to have you get the heck out if you need to you and your family really really important so a closet wouldn't be a good safe space Mm. maybe a bedroom that has a balcony or a window with an emergency ladder that you can unfurl and worst case scenario let your family um, out that would be great or you know maybe jump if you absolutely needed to again it has to have an egress first and foremost so was that the primary issue with Jodie Foster's safe space in it, that movie? It was a glorified, you know, concrete steel lined closet, yeah. right? Well, you're stuck there, you know, again. Made for the bombs, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, made for the zombie apocalypse. No, no, you need an egress. So I tell people, take a look around our homes and figure out what would be the best room. It doesn't have to be a bedroom. It could be a bathroom. It could be a guest room. It could be, you know, it could be your child's room. Sometimes we'll have people say, well, I have children or I have elderly parents. Great. Make their room the uh, the safe room uh, so that everybody knows, hey, something happens, code word, go into grandpa's room, go into the child's room. That's where you're going to set things up. So once you select the room, a couple things you can do to make it a little safer um, for you and for your family. Reinforce the door. Um, a solid core door is always a good thing. So instead of getting a hollow core door, get a solid core door and replace the door and reinforce the door frames. Take it a step farther and take that door and instead of having it open into the room, have a carpenter reverse the the door so that it opens out. It's much harder to kick in a door if it opens out. Drug dealers are famous for inverting the doors in their homes so that uh, the uh, police can't have a more difficult time kicking the door in so their doors open out. Use security hinges and security screws and have those screws um, into uh, go into a reinforced frame at least two to three inches in. Again, make that door hard to uh, kick in. It, it may be the you know, may, may give you the ed- the edge between life and death, locking that door and maybe putting a deadbolt on that door. Maybe two deadbolts, one on the top, 
one on the bottom. But spending a little bit of time reinforcing that door is a really, really important thing. What about something like a U-brace? I think we spoke about this at one point. Yeah, U-braces aren't bad, uh, but again, they may be more difficult to uh, to um, to activate. So a nice deadbolt that goes into the door is great. Just be aware if you have kids, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, kids, that you, you want to make that deadbolt a little bit higher than the... The, the tallest child so that you know if you have kids and they're and they're bad they don't go into the room and they lock themselves lock you <laughs> out of that room you know um, so you want to make sure that that, that deadbolt can secure the door and then you want to fortify that door as well if you have uh, uh, an alarm system which I believe everybody should have an alarm system if you have an alarm system have a panel put in that particular room you should have a panel in your bedroom. That way, if something happens, you don't have to go out hunting. You can figure out what zone's been breached. And it's great for those parents that have children because you can tell whether or not Junior is sneaking out at uh, at midnight because it'll say, you know, zone one, breach, door open. And, it, uh, and, you, and some of them even warn you, like text you or email you that, uh, a zone has been opened or that, uh, you know, a window has been opened. So it's a good way to monitor what the heck is happening. So an alarm panel in that room would be great if you have um, the ability to do so. It would be a good thing. Um, have a charged cell phone um, in that room. If you can't have a charged cell phone, have a cell phone charger in that room. Maybe a landline. I know those old things, those old telephones that you plug into the wall. Yeah, mm-hmm. An actual mm-hmm. phone because, again, we may not have our cell phones with us. So an old cell phone that has been, uh, service has been interrupted, if you leave it on a charger, it'll still dial 911. Sure. It has to be charged. So it's nice to have one in there. Maybe a, a spare headset or a spare charger for our regular cell phones in that room. In case we have our phone, we don't have a charger. Maybe have firearms and ammunition available in there. Again, uh, the ability to be able to protect yourself is a great thing. Nothing like having an AR-15 in that room. It's great. My preferred home defense gun, but we'll leave that for another episode. How about having spare keys? Everybody, you know, nowadays have um, the keys with those key fobs, right? Sure. And we usually throw them where? Right in, in a little in a hook on our way inside our home, close to the door. But what if you're in your bedroom? Why don't you take an extra set of the, your 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 key fob and your wife's key fob? And put them in a drawer in there in case you have to jump out that window. You can actually get access so that you can drive away if you need to. You mm. have your keys there, right? Um, and maybe have a set of an extra set of house keys on a Siloom light stick if you need to, so that if you call nine one one and they can let themselves in, you just say, "Hey, look, I'm putting the keys." Um, on my light stick, it's I'm throwing out the window. Take a look. Let yourself in. Little things like that can can really be very useful. Have uh, you know spare medicines or maybe a first aid kit in that room is really important, especially if you have family members that have uh, have medical conditions, diabetes, so on and so forth. Important to have medicines in there. Have a reliable flashlight and batteries. Maybe an emergency whistle, air horn, a way to signal. Maybe even less than lethal options or less lethal options like pepper spray uh, as uh, in that room as well. Again, layers of protection and defense. And it's very, you know, it's, it's relatively inexpensive to set this up. Just start backwards. Room with an egress. And let's go ahead and fortify that room. And that's where we're going to retreat to. Uh, to protect ourselves again, similar to kind of the castle keep back in the the medieval days. You know, those great points all around. I think that one thing that uh, really resonated with me. You're talking about safe spaces with children or the elderly. 
I know that there is zero chance I would sit tight if my godson or my goddaughter were in another room in the home during one of these types Absolutely, of situations. Sure. And I know our instinct is usually to hunt. We, we try to create as many barriers between ourselves and the threat as possible and sit tight if we can. But that's simply not an option if you've got children in another room. So it's a great point as far as making that meetup point, that safe space in that child's room or in that elderly person's room. And I think that I really get two takeaways from everything you've spoken about during these last couple of segments. Number one, you want to take into consideration the legal implications of uh, creating that safe space, right? What are you doing? You may be increasing your chances at being justified should you need to use that tool of last resort. Absolutely. Because the bottom line is if you're in that safe space and you're creating as many barriers between yourself and the threat as possible and you're hunkering down in there and they're banging on the door and you say something, as you mentioned, such as I'm armed and I'm prepared to defend myself and they continue to make efforts to breach that additional barrier. Well, at that point, when they finally get through, I'm not sure how you could possibly have more of a reasonable belief. You're really giving uh, every other alternative a go before having to use that tool of last resort in that situation. So I think that that's important, not only on the practical level for safety purposes, but uh, it also comes into play for legal purposes. And I'm sure that really good points. And I'm sure that they're going to be listeners saying uh, to heck with that. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to protect my family. Well, if you absolutely positively have to protect your family, great. Fantastic. But again, don't go hunting, people. We're not, most of us, are not trained um, officers, trained to clear rooms, pie corners. Even uh, a trained SWAT team, right? The average police officer is not going to want to enter and clear a home by themselves. They're going to wait for SWAT. They're going to send in a dog. They'll send in some drones, some robots, right? The last thing, and if you've never actually cleared a room or pied a room, Take a class and do that. It's a lot of work, and it is very stressful, and it's very difficult to do. So, again, giving, having all those barriers there between the bad guy and our families is what we want. And then practice this. You know, practice at like fire drills. Practice it with your family. Get everybody on the same page, and every once in a while, practice doing this. Uh, it's going to be a great tool. And it's going to be a great exercise. And maybe, maybe even make it like family night. As part of family sure. night, you know, uh, we're going to practice the emergency drill. We don't want to figure it out when we have no choice, right? When we really sure. need us to, to react. And I get it. You want to protect your family. You, you want to protect them because they're precious and they're the most important Absolutely. thing to you. But the bottom line is, if you go out there and you hunt, you might be putting yourself in jeopardy. And as a result... Uh, putting your family in jeopardy because they need you to, to be around for them, not only in that situation, right, well, while there's a threat inside the home, but for the rest of their lives. But you afterwards, know? They, you want to be alive. Stick and, around. Yeah, you want to so, be alive and you, know, you don't want to go to jail. So I think that just highlights the importance of having a plan in place like this, and there's really nothing less, uh, nothing more valuable than having an instructor sit down with you one-on-one to create a custom plan. Because we have to remember that even trained police officers are uh, hesitant to clear a room or clear a home by themselves. It's a lot of work. So we need to, you know, not go out hunting. Right. They do them with teams, don't they? We do. They do absolutely with, with teams, with, with dogs, with, uh, with robots nowadays. Those are great points all around, Jose. And one of the things I think resonated with me quite a bit is you talked about bringing the safe spaces to children or the elderly. Because I know that 
there is zero chance that I would sit tight if my godson or my goddaughter was in another room in the home during, a, during an invasion like this. And I think a lot of people feel that way, and I certainly get it. If you've got children that are elsewhere in the home, you want to go hunt because you want to make sure that they're safe. But the fact of the matter is, getting out there and hunting rather than making that safe space towards them could be putting you in jeopardy, not only physically, right? Because these are situations where you go out there, you want to protect your family, but you might be putting them in jeopardy, not only because if you get hurt, they're going to be in trouble for that particular situation, but you might be in legal trouble later on down the road, or you might get hurt and, you know, they won't have you for the rest of their lives. So that's that's incredibly important to take into account. Absolutely. We have that those protective instincts. We want to go ahead and protect our family. We want to go ahead and protect our loved ones. But we also have to realize that even trained police officers are hesitant to clear a home by themselves. They will call for backup. They'll call for the SWAT team. They'll send dogs in. They'll send robots in. It's very difficult to clear a home, to even clear a room if you've never done it. Take a training course and try. It's really tiring and, and really quite stressful. Sure, sure. And another thing I wanted to mention, I think there are legal implications that come into play when you're talking about uh, sitting tight, having a safe space and things of that nature, creating as many barriers between yourself and the threat as possible. Because I want you to think about it like this. If you're taking those measures, you're creating those barriers, and there's an intruder in the home, and they start to make efforts to break down and breach that last barrier. They're, they're knocking down that door and you shout something to the effect of I'm armed and I'm prepared to defend myself the way you mentioned earlier. And they continue to breach that barrier and they break down that door, they break into that room, then I'm not sure how you could possibly ever have a more reasonable belief than under those circumstances. So you're not only increasing your chance of making it out safely, but you're also increasing... Uh, the justification defense that you have under those circumstances. Very, very true. And you know what? Practice these things. Practice verbal commands. We don't want to try to figure out verbal commands when we need them the most. We are mammals. We bark. We are creatures that bark under stress. We're going to say something. So the last thing we want to do is yell something that may be potentially incriminating or iffy uh, in the background while our, our spouse is on the phone with 911. We're going to say, you know, we're going to say something. So it's better to pr practice. I have a firearm. I will shoot if I need to. Get out of my home now. As opposed to, die you, die you son of a, you know, <laughs> eat my lead. Because we're going to say something. So we yeah. got to practice these things prior to, to needing it. Yeah, and maybe have a plan in place with your children and family as, as to how you're going to interact with law enforcement officers as well. I know that we teach children that police officers are good guys, they're our friends, but the fact of the matter is if they speak on the spot after a critical incident like that, they may do something that harms your case. So. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Aftermath of a defensive shooting I think is, is a good future topic, I think. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a discussion you want to have ahead of time. So uh, all in all, I think that the important thing that we've highlighted is that there's really nothing more valuable than sitting down with a qualified professional and having a customized plan in place. God forbid you are encountered with a home invasion because these are situations that we want to make it out of safely. We want to protect ourselves and our loved ones. And we really, at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. Your home is your castle. We just got to know, you know, how to go about protecting it and having those plans in place prior to needing it. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. Yeah, so I think that's what we're, we're all here for, and that's why we're ingrained in this lifestyle. Uh, but another excellent episode. Thank you, folks, for being with us. 
I'm Jose Morales, and with our host, Mike Jeremita. Take care, folks. Be safe. Thank you for listening to another episode of Locked, Loaded, and Legal, brought to you by Philly Firearms Radio. For more information and to show your support, visit LockedLoadedAndLegal.com.